Well, good morning, church. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Songwriter said, I was glad when they say unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. And it, that's why it's great to be here. Great to be with the people of God. One beautiful thing about the God we serve is what theologians call the immutability of God. That the God that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unchanging and unchangeable. And we just praise God that that's the kind of God we serve. We never will say, oh, God is having a bad day today. Don't talk to him. <laughs> God is not like us, you know. God is a good God. And he's a good God all the time. Amen. And if you're here this morning, receive that the word from God, the God that we serve is a good God. The songwriter said, Thou changest not thy compassion, they fail not. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Um, he was the same God last year and last month and last week, and is the same God today. And um, we can trust him. And uh, if you're here this morning, we welcome you, and I would like you, thanks, we'd like you to have an encounter with this God. Our friends let us down. Sometimes our expectation that we had didn't quite come to pass, but God is a good God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And some of you who probably know what I'm talking about, and you were once close to God, but you don't feel that closest anymore. Somebody said, if you're not as close to God as you once used to be, you need not ask, who have moved? God moved? No, God hasn't moved. Probably you've moved, you know, you've been separated and the relationship is now strained. But God said he can restore all that. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. This morning we'll be looking again in the book of Luke. For the past several weeks we've been looking at the book of Luke and what we can glean from that, the events in the life of Christ, the most fascinating life ever lived. And Luke, Luke 9, if you have your Bibles, in the book of Luke and the ninth chapter, Jesus started off by giving the, in, in verse 1 and 2, giving the disciples power and authority over all devils and cure disease and sickness. And then um, he followed that up. We um, heard about the feeding of the 5,000. Fascinating miracle. Five loaves, two fishes, 5,000 plus was fed with about 12 baskets left over. And last week I believe Pastor Rick did uh, Peter's confession who do you say that I am? And Peter was looking so intelligent when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord said, Hey, Peter, that didn't really come from you. It's my Father in heaven who has revealed it unto you. And just when we thought it couldn't get any better, we are moving on to a passage of scripture this morning. And Luke, we'll be reading from Luke 9, 28 to 43. Um, the Bible under your seat, ESV, I think it is, it is on page 866 and page 867. 
Like I said, just when we think that things couldn't get any better, we are about to enter into another exciting moment in Jesus' life on earth. Some theologians think that of all the miracles of Jesus, this event is the greatest and the best. And you'll probably be the judge of that. As we look into Luke 9, and we're going to be reading from verse 28. You can fasten your seatbelt. We are in for a ride this morning. Luke chapter 9, I'll read from verse 28. I'll be reading from the New International Version. And the word said, after eight days, or about eight days after Jesus said this, he took his disciples took Peter, John, and James with him up and went into a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as, a br as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companion were sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelter, or some Bibles say three, that tabernacle, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Bible said that Peter did not know what he was saying. Typical Peter, huh? While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered him, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Verse 37 says, The next day when they came from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look on my son, for he's my only child. A spirit seizes him and suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that the fo he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leave him, scarcely ever leave him and is destroying him. I beg your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even when the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. And I'll just stop there this morning. Amen. One historian, um, Philip Scaff, described, fascinated by this, this life of Christ. As we just read in the scripture, he said Jesus had, he said the influence Jesus had on the subsequent history and culture of the world this Jesus of Nazareth without money and arms, he conquered more than millions, more millions than 
Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon. Without science, he shed more light on the things human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined. Without eloquence of school, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since, and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orators and poets. Without writing a single line, he set more pen to motion, furnished more themes for more sermons, oration, discussion, learned volume, works of art, songs of praise, and the whole army of great men and ancient and modern times. That's the fascinating life of Christ. And C.S. Lewis said, a well-known Christian apologist said, countless people throughout history have had their lives transformed by the God of the Bible. But even those who undergo great transformation with profound spiritual experience still have questions about God. It is no surprise that people who haven't yet had an experience with God have questioned too. All of you this morning are here and probably you are seeking for truth and you're searching for God. The stories of the Bible and the life of Christ like we just read and these events surrounding him while he was on earth. It is so fascinating. It grabs your attention. It is so compelling you have to take a closer look. And none is more compelling than the, the story we read just now. We call it the transfiguration. No story more fascinating than this one. I like to call it the mountaintop experience. And of all the miracles of Christ, the baptism of Christ, where they heard a voice, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ when he went back to the Father, some theologians believe that none can compare and none can top the, the, what took place in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. The Bible tells us that one evening, Jesus, with Peter, James, and John, they went up to the mountain, probably which was unusual, to pray. And as they went up to pray, and as they were praying, suddenly... The countenance of Jesus, his garments or raiments, and everything, it's like a bolt of lightning. They saw Jesus, Jesus lit up in bright celestial light, and he was shining. It was just a spectacular view and vision. And in the midst of that, things got a little weirder. Two men appeared with Jesus Christ. And I don't know how they knew. One was Moses and one was Elijah. And it's like, whoa, oh my God. And they were there in their celestial glory, splendor, spectacular. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, and as usual, Peter started talking. Paul, Peter was saying, whoa, mama, look at this. Jesus, come on. Let's make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. The Bible said that Peter didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But Peter was basking in the glory of this all. And he was just speaking from, you know, gibberish from the mouth and saying things that he 
never even fully understand. And the Bible went on to say that while they were, while all this was happening, a cloud came down and covered them. And they trembled with fear as they were enveloped in this cloud. And they heard a voice said, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And fear grabbed a hold of them. What a spectacular event. And suddenly, the cloud then was lifted and disappeared. And Peter, James, and John was alone with Jesus Christ. What a spectacular event. And the Bible said, they tell no one. What are they going to say? <laughs> Unless you're speaking out of ignorance, you, you, how can you ex explain this to anyone? But this morning, what can we learn from this mind-blowing mountaintop experience? It was like back to the future one, huh? <laughs> it, was, it was something that spectacular yet real. What can we learn? I think the disciples realized that this man, Jesus, that they're following, he wasn't any ordinary religious leader running around probably collecting money and speaking things that are not true. This was not just a mere man and a mere religious leader. This was proof that this is God with us. It's not just a religious group. And, and, and what happened, um, John said in, in John 1, 14, that um, we beheld his glory. We beheld his splendor. And this was God giving the disciples a foretaste that the best is yet to come. John in the Revelation declared, Behold, he come in splendor, on a cloud, glory. And God was giving the disciples a little foretaste of what's to come. God was um, confirming to the disciples that what we preach is real. There is life after death. Death is not the end. Eternal life is real. Look at that. Moses and Elijah. Can you begin to understand how weird that was? Or it looked like they've lost their mind, they're off, they're rockers. Can you begin to understand how the, 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 what they saw was just simple out of this world? Remember, Moses lived over 1,400 years before Christ. Elijah, well, we know that Moses died in Moab. They said God conducted his funeral. Nobody know where the tomb is. Nobody know where... <laughs> Nobody know where Moses was buried. And here comes Elijah, who was caught up in a chariot with horses and fire. Elijah didn't die the normal natural death, went to heaven. Elijah lived 900 years, nine centuries before Christ. And we serve a God that just shut the mouth of all the skeptics who wonder if there was life beyond the grave. Who wondered if there was life outside of, 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 if there was life beyond the grave, life outside, outside of Christ, life beyond death. 
They were all there. But this was a weird, weird experience. And there's a lot of doubt in people today. I remember the days back at work, I was at the hospital in radiology, and there's a good friend of mine. Sammy's a brilliant guy. He's a doctor, great in science, and we used to argue a lot back and forth about religion and about God. And he said he's an avowed atheist, doesn't believe in all these things. Why you go to church, Eddie? You believe all those stuff. One day I went to work and he said, hey, okay. hey Eddie, how you doing? Guess what happened over the weekend? I said, Sam, what's going on? He said, I went to church. <laughs> I said, Sam, that's good. You went to church. What happened? He said, I bought a new suit. <laughs> I said, Sam, you went to church because you bought a new suit? He said, what else is there to go to church for? <laughs> you believe in all those mumba-jumbas and pie in the sky and life after death. All these Christian people, you know, they tell you the point of the sky and they take your money. They're a bunch of, you know, people can really rip the church and get into it. He's an ATC, doesn't say, you know, I'm glad you went to church, but because you bought a suit, ah, well, we always say come just as you are. You might come to church with the wrong motives, but we, ought to get, we, we hope that we'll get you right before you leave. Amen? He didn't believe in God. He, had all, he was a skeptic. He was an atheist and all that. But for all those who didn't believe that there's life after death and wonder what exists beyond the grave, Jesus was here telling the disciples for a fact, look, a man who died over 1,400 years ago, Moses, that's him in all his splendor and glory and heavenly brilliance. And they couldn't, they, they couldn't deny that they had no argument. I mean, you have no argument against that. That there is a life after that. And this was a weird experience of the disciples. Can you imagine? Um, I come to church one day and I see Elder Vera and Vera said, Hey, Eddie. You know the elders are prayer meeting last night in the conference room? And guess who was there? I said, hey, Vera, who was there? George Washington. I said, Vera, you all right? <laughs> he said, you don't believe me? Vera, don't say that again. We would think that that was really weird and, and out of this world. And we would think that He's out of his mind, you, have, you know, lost his rockets or whatever they call it. But there was a lot of doubts about people have about life after death, you know, about whether this was happening. Can you imagine doubting Thomas going to his wife and say, honey, guess what happened today? And she said, hold it a bit, Thomas. Last week you tell me fed 5,000, this rabbi guy that you guys are following. And then you told me that we heal sick and open the eyes. What's next, Thomas? That he can walk on water and raise dead? And Thomas said, well, honey, actually, don't, don't get me started again, Thomas. You've, I, I've had enough with you. You can imagine Thomas trying to tell his wife that they saw Moses. She said, that is it. I've had enough. But this was real. Jesus allowed the disciples to have this experience. 
to recognize that what we, 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 we're talking about, it is not something nebulous, hazy, or vague. God is real. Jesus is the Messiah. And even beyond the tomb, there is life after death. God was giving them a glimpse in the future. Like the, um, you talk about back to the future. I think Michael J. Fox and Robert Simgiski was in that movie. A kid going back 30 years. This is even more. This is going back 14 centuries. So guys, this morning, grandma might have died and grandpa. And a lot of your loved ones have been sick. And COVID has turned us into a weeping nation. But we have hope in Jesus Christ. Blessed is the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It is not over until God said it's over. Who will have the final say? Jehovah will have the final say. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So if God can bring back a man from 14th century and show him in his celestial splendor and glory, we're going to see, see Gene Fraser and Bob Fraser and all of our loved ones that have departed. You can be assured it's the real thing. And it's not coke, I like to say to the guys in prison. This is the real thing. God wanted to confirm our, our faith in Jesus Christ in this spectacular display on our mountaintop experience we call the transfiguration. Peter said in one, 2 Peter 1, 16, 18, it wasn't a made-up story. It was true. It was real. We saw his majesty. We heard the voice. This is my son I have chosen. Listen to him. The disciples were encouraged through this experience that guys... If you have to suffer for the cause, it is worth suffering. This is a cause, a call, and a cause that is worth even dying for or suffering for because look, the benefits are out of this world. Look at the splendor and the glory. Look at what God has prepared for us. The future is looking great. The place, on the, the, the experience on, on the, this mountaintop experience was where the temporal, normal, natural man reached the eternal. And Jesus was the bridge between this life and the next life. And I'll ask, do you know him today? The purpose of, the, of this mountaintop experience was to equip us. And to help build our faith. And to move us on to ministry. The mountaintop experience can have a few traps. There's danger when you're, as a Christian, have an experience. And he said, oh, we're just going to stay here. Things are going great until Peter opened his mouth. And said, guys, we are camping out here tonight. Let's build three tabernacles. We're not moving. This is too good. But that's not the purpose of the mountaintop experience. The purpose of the mountaintop experience is that after God has blessed you and after you have experienced God, you move on to his calling and greater purpose in your life. But a lot of people just, let's just build a church again, you know. Or they start a movement, the mountaintop church movement, you know. 
or somebody get discovered baptism, what you the first Baptist church or the first church of the event, we tend to love to stay there and build. Build a movement, build a church right in our situation. But God wants us to move on. The Apostle Paul said he was a Hebrew of all Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. You know, circumcised eight days. What are these Christians running around the place talking about? After them. And then he hit a road called Damascus. God looked at Saul of Tarsus, who we later, later called the Apostle Paul. And Paul, he had a Saul of Tarsus have an encounter with the divine on the road to Damascus. God took him off his horse and he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? It's hard to kick against the prick. This is the kind of fight you're not going to win. And in a flash of the moment, Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? And the next moment he was saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, but you see in the life of the Apostle Paul, he moved on from that mountaintop experience. And he moved on to be one of the greatest evangelists an apologist for the gospel of the world has known. The world said that the Apostle Paul was the greatest salesman because he had a product that he was excited about. He had a product that he, he wants to tell the world about. Tell the world about Jesus Christ. And this morning, you can search your life and ask where it's at with you. You're born again. Oh, I'm so glad I know Jesus. You have a new life. You have been saved and you're excited about the Lord. But sometime after the mountaintop, there comes the valley. And there can be a big letdown. And sometimes you see people in church and they're excited about the Lord. They're born again on the mountaintop. They're loving Jesus. And after a few months or weeks, you said, hey, where is so-and-so? Where is so-and-so? You have people that tell you, oh, when I was in college, my second year, I accepted Jesus. They had a Christian group there. I was excited about the Lord. And what happened? Met the wrong kind of guy or the wrong kind of girl. Got married, married, broke up, lost their job, started drifting away from God. And now they're wondering, was I really saved? What happened? I'm here to encourage you this morning about the songwriter said, you know, life is easy when you're on the mountain and you have peace of mind that you have never known. But things change when you're down in the valley and you begin to wonder whether God is real, whether you were really even saved. The songwriter said the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. The God of the good time is still God in the bad time. The God of the day is still God in the night. And this morning, one of the problems we have in Christianity, too many people at first base. They're born again, praise God. But they never move on. You know, baseball analogies, second base, third, third base, they become stagnated. And, and, and we don't want that to happen to us. That was not God's purpose. And in a moment, you'll see what happened. You can remember um, when Moses was on the mountaintop. God, the Ten Commandments, the Shekinah light of glory was up on him. And he was coming down the mountain. And my God, what did he see? Reveling and dancing and debauchery. 
and, and immorality and worshiping gold and calf. And he was so angry, slammed down the Ten Commandments and broke it. People have drifted from God. The people have backslidden. And right after this mountaintop experience with Jesus and the disciples, the scripture said the next day, after they came down from the mountain, there was a man who had a son, demon-possessed. And when the man saw Jesus next, they said, Master, please help me. Oh, my God, I have one only son. And I took him to your disciples that he could help them. But they couldn't. And Jesus was disappointed and heartbroken. And he even got angry. And he used some choice words. Jesus knew that, look at the disciple and realize, I gave you power over all devils. Power and authority over to cure sickness, to heal the sick. You saw my glory on the mountain. It was so good, you wanted to stay there. And this man have a little problem with his son. And you couldn't help him? Jesus said, you perverse and unbelieving generation. How long I'm going to be with you? You guys know that I'm going away soon. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die, so I won't be here. How did this happen? You couldn't help this man. You can imagine they all started to blame each other, you know. Just like in the Garden of Eden, when man failed, they started to blame each other. Adam said, God, it wasn't me. It was the woman that you gave me. You know what they say, Lord? Can't live with them. Can't live without them. It's the woman. <laughs> and um, Eve said, no, I was a good girl. I was doing the right. And the serpent did it. Can you imagine these disciples when Jesus said, you guys couldn't help this guy? His only son? Oh, it was Peter. James said, you don't talk, John. You are the first to run. You were so... A blame game started there. It was scary. Jesus said to the man, sir, bring your son. Where's your son? And as Jesus called for his son, the evil spirit grabbed this boy again. And he started to convulse and foam. Scary thing. I tell you, that this can be a scary experience at times if you don't know the Lord. And if you not quite know what's going on, I remember as a young whippersnapper, young Christian leader in my church years ago. One Sunday morning I was in church like this and we got a call. There's a family who had a disturbance all Saturday night. They have a daughter over 20 years old. She was acting up. She was screaming. She was bouncing off the roof on the wall and they knew that the, it's like the devil had entered. I remember that Sunday morning, I grabbed two spirit-filled, mature sister. And when we went to that home that Sunday morning, the family was terror. It was sheer terror and fear on their faces. And they thought, oh my God, we're going to lose our child. And when we stepped into the house, it got worse. 
But how many of you know, you know this morning that God didn't tell us to fight the devil? Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and he has made principalities and power an open shame. They have been defeated and Jesus cried, it is finished. It is over. So we're not here to fight the devil. James said, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. He will run. That Sunday morning after we grab a hold of that girl and begin to, to, to pray that the spiritual go, she was calm, meek, and in her mother's arm. And the next Sunday morning, she was in church. Worship again, and worshiping and praising God. You want to know how that happened? Paul, Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind. And Isaiah said that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will lift up a standard against him. Amen? Jesus said, Sir, where's your son? Bring him here. Satan, devil, you have no authority here. You have got to go. The boy was normal again in the arms of his father and the people were amazed. Church is just the same today. He's just the same today as he walked in Galilee and he set the suffering captive free. He's just the same today. God hasn't changed. And whatever you might be going through this morning, whatever might be ailing you, it's a troubled world. Broken people and broken lives and people going through issue, but God is able to Whatever you might be going through, the song said he's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. He's a God that can break chains. And this morning, whatever you might be going through, believe him this morning. Amen. Jesus saw the man at the pool of Bethesda and, and he said to the man, will thou be made whole? It's a, it's a question for you this morning. Will thou be made whole? And the man said, hey, hey, hey. 38 years, man. <laughs> Sometimes we hug our infirmities and we boast about it. Nobody knows the trouble I feel. I'm going off the rough side of the mountain. You know, <laughs> we love to throw a pity party. 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. And you ask him, what did you ask, master? Well, thou be made whole. And the man was there, you know, starting to sing, somebody I want to play, somebody done somebody wrong song. Society is against me. Oh, my God. And you are 38 years, baby. Not going to get any better. Jesus said, uh-uh. Do you want to be made whole? Rise up. Walk. And the man said, oh, my God. After 38 years. How about you this morning? My friends, life can sometimes beat you up and beat you down and beat you into despair and surrender. We heard this year that over 93,000 people in the last year committed suicide. Life can beat you up and call you to cry, Stop this train! I want to get off! I can't take this life anymore. Especially when you don't know Jesus Christ. 
Whatever your situation this morning, my friends, have a little talk with Jesus. Turn it over to him. You might feel like Frank Sinatra, you know. I've been a pauper, a poet, a pirate, a po you know. I've been up and over and under and out and gone. Life has beat me. Each time I fall on my face, I try to pick myself up. Hey, I even tried the Oprah thing. Dig in your inner child. See, you, 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 you didn't know your own strength. God, it's not working. My friends, this morning, that is why we need a Savior. If we could do it in our own strength, if we could pick ourselves up, we would have done so a long time ago. And that's why he said to every one of us this morning, come, come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. St. Augustine said that the soul is restless until it's fine, rest in, in, in him. And this morning, whatever you might be going through, I believe God this morning. I believe that the Spirit of God is all over this congregation. The land of Judah shall break every chain and give us the victory again and again. The man had a problem. He broke it to Jesus. Jesus looked at the disciple and said, You guys couldn't do anything after all this? Are you kidding me? You unbelieving and perverse generation. We want to believe God this morning. Amen. And he's in this place. The Spirit of God is all over this place this morning. Jeremiah the prophet said, said Call unto me. God said, call unto me, and I will answer. All you need this morning, just a little mustard seed of faith. And even if you think, oh, I'm out of that too, my brother. Somebody said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I've been in this for 38, a long time, God. But he's here this morning, my friends. The psalmist said, summon the power of God. Move again, God, like you've moved in the past as you summon your power. He, 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 he's present, in, the Spirit of God is present in this room. I like to say the power that was in the tomb, that pushed away the stone and Jesus came back from the power that was in the tomb, is in this room this morning. Amen? He's present here to break every chain, to set the captive free, to bring you the healing and deliverance. If you're here and you're hungry, don't leave this place. You're looking for a job. You're sick. I heard about cancer. I heard about surgery. And people are going through all kinds of things. God is able this morning. Amen? God is able to meet your need. And right now I'm going to um, have a closing prayer and decree God blessing over your life. You might think you're hiding in the clouds. Come, guys. You might think that nobody cares about you, but right this morning, lift your faith to God. That little mustard seed of faith, whoever you are, our faces differ, and so our needs differ this morning. But God understand. Jesus said, bring the child to me. Bring the problems to God. And this morning, praying that God will touch your life and heal your life and deliver whatever you might be going through. Just bow your heads where you are with me this morning. Let me just close in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your presence this morning, God. We know your presence is in this place. We ask you to move from heart to heart, 
from chair to chair and touch every life present in this tabernacle, watching from home this, this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for your healing touch, your deliverance, God. Lord, we pray that the lion of the tribe of Judah will break every chain this morning, God, and give us the victory again and again and again. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless your church. The altar is now open.